0: This week, we'll dive into the latest news from space data startup Wyvern, who has secured more funds to develop its hyperspectral imaging technology.
1: And we'll also talk about how a nonprofit is planning on using tech to deliver better social services, as well as a machine learning bootcamp
0: for women. Hi, I'm Faiza Ramji. And I'm Emily Rendell Watson. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. So Wyvern has secured $4 million from Sustainable Development Technology Canada to develop its hyperspectral imaging technology. And it's hoping that the technology in its satellites can help tackle the environmental impact of the country's agriculture sector. So we have two of the co-founders, Callie Lucina, who is the COO, and Curtis Broda VP product, and they're here to tell us how they're going to do that.
2: So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to use small satellites to take pictures of Earth. Um, every day. And those pictures are going to be different from what you see on Google Maps. they are images that have a lot more information than what's available today. And they're really tailored towards um, environmental applications. So those images will essentially reveal things that were previously not available to see with kind of today's imagery. A really strong example of this is in agriculture. So we want to understand on a deeper level, crop health, understanding where to put nutrients and water and understanding if we can identify diseases before they become a really big problem.
0: So in terms of the funding itself, this four million, what what is it going to be used for?
3: This four million will spread out over a three-year project and the big end goal is getting our core technology of deployable optics Uh, which is an optical technology on those small satellites that enables us to get the data that Curtis was talking about. We'll actually get that into space on our first satellites with deployable optics using this funding. And we'll also be able to even validate the effectiveness of the satellite data for agriculture applications. And that's why we have so many partners on the project because we wanna make sure that the people that are actually using this data in the agriculture sector uh, we'll find it valuable once we build out our satellite constellation more.
0: So in terms of how this technology actually works, you know, I was reading a little bit the press release and talking about how innovative the technology is. Can you walk me through a little bit when we talk about hyperspectral imagery, what that is and how it relates to unfolding a telescope in space, which is my understanding what what you're hoping that the satellite that this funding will go towards uh, will do.
3: Yeah. So hyperspectral is uh, can be a daunting word, but it's an advanced imaging technique uh, that collects up to hundreds of different images in different wavelengths. So You can think about a regular digital photo having the red, green and blue layers that make it up, except with hyperspectral, you'd have hundreds of different layers making up the same image. So you kind of have a three dimensional data block where you have your picture, but then like hundreds of layers of it. This has the power to detect Details in the imagery scene that are otherwise invisible—you wouldn't be able to tell that some chemical information in an image is there unless you have all those layers in the image. This is why we can get all sorts of new insights uh, for the agriculture, forestry, environmental sectors um, through hyperspectral. That's kind of what we're making, but how we're making it is with the deployable optics and. These are satellite parts. So we have a team of engineers developing deployable optics that will go on these small satellites. And the reason we need it is because you need to collect a lot of light on your satellite to be able to take hyperspectral images. And from a small satellite, you can't collect a lot of light. If you think about the Hubble Space Telescope or the James Webb Space Telescope, for example... Those are massive because they need to collect lots of light. And so instead, Wyvern thought, why don't we have um, mirrors unfold off of a really small satellite so we get the economic savings of having a really small satellite, but still are able to capture these high quality hyperspectral images?
2: Yeah, like with the folding technology, like imagine you're going camping in space (laughs) and you want to bring a chair with you you actually, you wouldn't bring like your office chair, you'd bring your folding camping chair. So it's kind of similar to that. Like you want something that you can really fold up really, really small. And then when you get to your destination, you can unfold it into like the thing that you actually want to use.
0: Okay. So when we think about how that's going to reduce domestic agriculture emissions, which my understanding is the goal, how can you, can you Tell me a little bit more about how it's actually going to tangibly contribute to doing that.
2: Yeah. So there's a few different things we're looking into. So the first thing I'll talk about is fertilizer. So right now in some applications, uh, you do front load fertilizer to the beginning of the season and you don't really know what happens to that fertilizer. So there might be a rain event and it may wash away or it might stick around and you might actually have too much fertilizer uh, in that particular area. So with when it comes to fertilizer, what we want to do is figure out, is there an appropriate amount of fertilizer on your field? And at what parts of the field is there not enough or more? And if we can tell people that, then it's relatively easy to um provide prescriptions to the the fertilizer, whatever fertilizer problem is on that field. And by reducing fertilizer use, that actually has a really big effect on GHG emissions since you are directly reducing uh, nitrogen usage in the fields. Um, the second big area is you would expect uh, if you can build these maps of pests and diseases and other like operational factors, you can increase the actual yield per area. So by increasing the amount of stuff you produce, you actually use less, uh, you'd actually reduce GHG emissions on like a per farm basis.
0: When you think about the agriculture industry, and you know, how important that is in Alberta, how significant is this in terms of the work that, uh, that you'll be doing?
2: Yeah, so what we're targeting. If this if this rolls out, we're really targeting at least a five percent reduction here in Canada from farming itself. Agriculture is a relatively large contributor in Canada to um GHG emissions. So we're trying to trying to reduce that by about five percent. And this will scale worldwide. That's the hope. So if we can demonstrate it here in Canada, we can also scale that to other countries.
0: Now it sounds like you'll be using the smart farm at Olds College to test uh the satellite that you're referring to. How is that going to work? And and can you talk a little bit about what a smart farm even is?
2: Yeah, so the, the Olds College Smart Farm is really, really cool. They grow crops there and they have 20 to 30, I think maybe even higher than that now, uh sensors. So they measure everything. So they measure uh the moisture content, they measure how much was produced. They measure soil chemistry. And that helps us understand if what we're measuring is correct. So we'll be using the smart farm to show that hyperspectral imaging can measure uh, the things that actually have an impact to agricultural operations.
0: So does the satellite actually gets launched and like, how does that, how do they interact together? In terms of the smart farm and, and how that testing works,
2: we will be imaging the smart farm uh, about twice a month. So we will be tasking it to to look at the farm as much as we can.
0: So that's after the satellite has launched. And the idea behind that that is because you know what's actually happening on that farm already, and you can control the conditions, et cetera. Then is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Like the like farming is like this hugely complex problem, right? There's so many variables. There's the weather, there's the type of crops you grow, there's the soil. And, and the smart farm is one of the few areas where you can actually know a lot of those variables to really like a, to a scientific degree of accuracy. And and that's that's what we really need to do to to validate that what we're doing is working.
0: Why did Wyvern decide to focus on agriculture first in terms of the, because obviously there's An immense amount of areas that and challenges that could be tackled. So, why delve into this one?
2: So, there's a few really pieces to this. So, Wyvern's mission really is to really measure Earth, (laughs) and to and like we really believe that satellites can really help us address some of the really big issues here on Earth, and and to help you know help humanity achieve a really sustainable and bright future. And agriculture is like such an important piece of that. And we felt like this was an area that with the technology we were trying to build that we could we could dive into right away. I think I think it's an area that maybe isn't as like well known like agricultural technology. But I I felt like we all agreed that this was an area that we could we could make an impact in. And I think satellites are really uniquely positioned to help this area.
0: This is uh, obviously not the first announcement that you've had in in 2022 um, and builds on the news that you had in early January in terms of, um, I think at that time, that was about $4.5 million in funding and then also entering Y Combinator. So at the time when I talked to Chris, your CEO, about that news, and he talked about how that funding would go towards launching Wyvern's first three satellites. Is this satellite uh, Dragon Eye that's going to be tackling some of these domestic agriculture challenges? Is that part of one of these first three satellites, or is that separate?
2: The
3: Dragon Eye satellite that's mentioned uh, as a part of our SDTC project is a more advanced generation of Wyvern satellites that'll be launching a bit later. The three satellites mentioned in conjunction with our our equity raise and our, our seed round; those three satellites are our very first kind of preliminary proof of concept ones. So they are not flying the same advanced optical technology as the Dragon Eye.
0: Okay. So when will when will those three be launched versus Dragon Eye?
3: They're going to be launched. We're looking at a time frame of about a year until we're in space. So, 2022 is going to be a really big year for us um, as we we're getting really close to finally actually being in space.
0: And so, when will the will the Dragon Eye also be launching in twenty twenty two Then,
3: no, the more advanced Dragon Eye satellite won't be launching uh, until twenty twenty three at the earliest.
0: And so, will you be able to pull some of the insights from those first three, and then build on on what you learn as you look forward to to that one in, uh, obviously, next year, I guess.
3: Yeah, absolutely. All around the board. From our first three satellites, we're going to learn so much about not only uh, what our customers think of our data and how we can improve the data sets to be more useful for the applications we're targeting, but also just about satellite operations and um, how we can improve the like engineering-wise on future generations of satellites.
0: In terms of the long-term vision for Wyvern, Curtis, maybe do you want to talk a little bit about what that is, and and how you're hoping to build on not only this early success in 2022, but also what's to come for the rest of the year.
2: Yeah, so this we don't want to. This is really the start of Wyvern. I think uh, we want to continue building satellites that can help solve problems here on Earth. So we want to continue to expand our constellation. We want to provide data to not only agriculture, but other markets like um, environmental consulting looking into oil and gas understanding environmental remediation with um, with those clients and like continuing to to build that first generation and then building ultimately a constellation of many tens or even hundreds of satellites uh, that will be able to image parts of the earth every day
0: and so obviously starting with agriculture in terms of the more advanced satellite, but what are some of the other applications that
2: you'll be looking to next? I think we're we're going to really take a hard look into to mining and oil and gas. So uh, we want to understand, is there the ability to better understand mineral deposits uh, in mining? Is there Ways you can understand some of the environmental can we can we help oil and gas address some of its sustainability issues by better mapping either um, GHG emissions or some of the vegetation issues that that occur there and and we want to keep building on the agriculture case so as we build out the more advanced satellites we will look at adding more and more capabilities beyond even just crop stress like we want to look at. Uh, moisture monitoring, and we want to keep building out more data use cases as we build more capabilities into the satellite.
0: How much do you credit your ability to be innovative in this space with um, the history that you all have with each other? Because I think, you know, Wyvern has a pretty unique origin story in terms of how the co-founders met, which maybe you can speak to a little bit as well uh, in how important that has been for your success so far.
3: Wyvern does have a very unique origin story in that the the founder's tackled this huge challenge, I like to say against the odds, because building a satellite in Alberta when, you know, our CEO Chris Robson was talking about doing that in you know 2013, I think uh, a lot of eyebrows were raised like, good luck, because <laughs> um, it had never been done here before. And so we have a team of people that has shown that we can do things that have never been done before. And also, with four co-founders, obviously, it's important that we get along well and have really high trust relationships. And we're fortunate to have built those up entirely before we got to Wyvern because we had worked with one another in such demanding environments before. In terms of our ability to innovate, we not only have that among the co-founding team, but but also in the The hires that we've brought on um, since then. Like we have Christine Tovey, the former CTO of Airbus Group North America on our executive team now. And so in terms of thinking big and pushing our innovation schedule, uh, we've been able to bring on a lot of superstars as well. So in terms of the co-founder
0: team, three of you had met through the University of Alberta's Alberta SAT program. Can you tell me a bit more, Kelly, about how the three of you were able to connect there?
3: Yeah. AlbertaSat is an extracurricular student run satellite project at the University of Alberta. And Chris was the project manager very early on. When I first started my uh, undergraduate degree in engineering at the UVA, I joined, and Chris was one of the leaders of the project, and I was kind of brand new and learning. So Chris and I really quickly though developed, you know, a lot of trust in one another working on the Exalta One satellite, where Chris was doing mechanical design, and I went on to do satellite operations. So I sent commands to the satellite and collected data from it almost every day for the last year that it was in orbit. And Kristen, uh, one of Wyvern's other co founders was also on the mechanical team of AlbertaSat working on the mechanical design of that same satellite. So the three of us all were involved in different te- technical aspects of that very first satellite to come out of Alberta.
0: Okay. And then, Curtis, how were you able to connect with them?
2: I met Chris in grad school. Um, it's a pretty funny story. I'll, I'll give you the short version is that we were paired up as uh, in this like group project. Um, and we had to like pick our own project, and it was basically a, a signal processing course. Um, and the project we chose was to build like this measuring system for bicycles to like measure how fast you're pedaling and the long story short is we end, is like it ended up with me like biking through like two or three feet of snow with one foot on the U of a campus, and uh, we just <laughs> we found out we like liked working together. And then when Chris started talking about starting a space company, it just seemed like pretty, pretty natural to like join that because it seemed maybe less crazy than than biking around in January trying to, for like a school project.
0: <laughs> yeah. Starting a, a space company in Alberta. Um, yeah. I, when I, when I talked to him last and he talked about never really imagining being where you guys are today, I think it's pretty phenomenal. How far you've come, and uh, also I think you know Wyvern's pretty unique as well in in this space in terms of how you've built your team and and especially the leadership team in term, terms of having four of the six of you are women. Was that a conscious decision, or Kelly? Can you maybe talk a little bit about how important that is as well?
3: Equity, diversity, and inclusion are really important to Wyvern and have been from the beginning. One of the great things about the environment, and part of why I love being on the Wyvern team, is because we do have that critical mass of the underrepresented group in this case, uh, women. That is required for you to really feel comfortable and feel like you can speak up and sit at the table with everybody else. I really should have pulled up the the academic, like the the reference to the paper uh, before this about the number thirty percent. Thirty percent is about the fraction of an underrepresented group that you need to have for that group to feel more comfortable and like they they can speak up like everybody else and obviously we're well past that and so it it's kind of a snowball effect that keeps going after that because uh we were able to create this environment in the first place and now i think um it's really welcoming to everybody and it's clear what we value if you just look at our um like our website for example and it's been great because we've had it feedback from investors and even from recruits, like from from students that we're talking about hiring or other job applicants, that that's one of the things they really like about us is the gender diversity on our team.
0: Yeah, especially as I've had conversations with, you know, even investment firms in terms of like looking for that diversity for companies that are, you know, maybe struggling to get there. Do you think that it like... What do you think that you've learned over your years of building Wyvern that you could maybe share?
3: Um, One thing that I've learned that could maybe help companies that are looking to improve their diversity is that you can't really get very far without allyship at all. You can't rely on the minority themselves to be pulling the weight. And so if you have uh, one, two, even... Even better, just like a small team of really awesome allies who take initiative to do the research themselves and learn how they can support that underrepresented group. That's really key because the minority themselves will always be obviously aware of the situation and looking to make it better. But that's not going to get you very far. And so I have been super privileged to work at Wyvern and even at Alberta Sat with some awesome allies who have helped us get to where we are.
0: It sounds like that's pretty significant. In terms of Y Combinator, which you've been participating in for the last few weeks, how has that been going so far?
2: It's been great. Like it's, you know, Y Combinator's mission is to increase the number of startups in the world and to essentially help people who might not otherwise be able to succeed at a startup to have that opportunity. And I think like that's actually really, it's been like really geared towards that. And it's really helped helped us like as founders get to another level and really give us the chance to succeed at a startup that should hopefully, you know, if it's successful benefit benefit the world as a whole. And I think the intensity of learning has been extreme, but it's been fantastic. They're extremely supportive and it's really given us the conversations in there have really helped us get to another level and uh, and pushed us to like do things faster and and i'd say if there's one takeaway it's like really to be customer focused like they've got us back to some of the basics of really talking to customers on a daily basis uh try to understand your value proposition and trying to to get those first those first customers that validate your product market fit so it's it's been um it's been awesome uh kelly what do you what do you think
3: I totally agree with everything Curtis said, but a couple things that stood out to me were the word supportive. The Y Combinator community of founders has been amazingly supportive. We were shocked by how if you reach out just asking for something, you'll get so many responses. And uh, another thing that stood out was um, that it's pushed us to go faster, which we're surrounded in Y Combinator sometimes by software companies. Um, There's a lot of B2B SaaS companies and we get jealous looking at how quickly they can roll out a product or um, how how little capital it takes to roll out a product. Uh, with space hardware, we're facing a completely different set of challenges and risks. But thankfully, there's also a lot of support at Y Combinator from other hard tech companies. And it just just means our jaws drop sometimes when the companies that we're working with are surrounded by. Talk about building and deploying an entirely new product in a few weeks. Like that just doesn't exist in, in space hardware companies. So that's been eye-opening and um, also has, has showed us, kind of inspired us to see how we can maybe try to move a little faster.
0: When you say facing an entirely different set of challenges and risks, like what are some of those challenges?
3: With space hardware companies, it's just so capital intensive. Um, you need so much capital upfront to even get your first product uh, out to market. And so you need to be creative with how you uh, structure your product roadmap and your sales process and um, kind of think about how you can get really the minimum viable product out there because you can't build the, the satellite that you really want to build. You know, the engineer inside all the co-founders wants to build the big fancy satellite. But yeah, just how capital intensive it is to get that minimum viable product up makes introduces a lot of challenges for any deep tech company.
0: So the, the funding that was announced last month and then this most recent funding will will be very valuable then. Yes. In terms of Y Combinator, do you think that there'll be more news or announcements potentially coming out of this experience?
2: Um, I, I sure hope so. <laughs> y Combinator is an accelerator and I'm hoping, you know, like we are moving faster than we ever have been before. And I'm hoping that some of the work we we do in the next two months will result in some like really big milestones, especially around like customers and and some of our products we want to demonstrate with clients over the next year. Can't guarantee anything, but I'm hoping there's some big announcements like early this summer.
0: Before I let you go, when you think about all that you've done over the last couple of years in terms of building Wyvern... Can you each maybe just share why this is in, important to each of you, and why
2: you want to do this work? That's a great question. Um, I like. I feel pretty grateful that to have the opportunity to like build like a, such a really interesting company. To be honest, like it's it's like a really privileged to start a startup and like get this far. For Wyvern in particular, like building a company that could actually have like a really big impact on the world, like in a positive way. Like if we could actually reduce GHG emissions by five percent in agriculture, like that's like that's a huge win for like on like so many levels. And that's like what really motivates me. Like I I think technology can help us solve some of our biggest challenges. And to be part of that is just super exciting. And like, it just keeps me motivated. Cause like, I know like when things get hard, like if we can do this, like it could have a big impact. And if we don't do it, like how long will it be until somebody else does this? Right. Like somebody needs to do this and like, let's, let's do it fast and try to like have that big, that big ability to, you know, help people manage their crops better or, or help manage their farms better. Like that's just a really important problem that needs to be solved. I think, like on a personal level, just like really motivated by trying to help uh, climate change be be mitigated.
3: And Callie, I'm doing this for a lot of the same reasons as Curtis. Uh, hopefully, unsurprisingly. But uh, one thing I wanted to add that really keeps me going on a regular basis is that I think. Wyvern is the right team to tackle this challenge. Curtis was talking about how somebody needs to do this. Somebody needs to make this technology that can contribute to solving the climate crisis. And it's going to provide a big step change in um, our ability to monitor what's going on on earth. That totally resonates with me. And I think that when I look at Chris Robson's vision and Curtis's drive and Kristen, our third co-founder's technical prowess and being an expert in satellite optical systems, the four of us are the right people to be tackling this specific challenge. You can maybe call it uh, founder product fit if you want. <laughs> so I have a lot of faith in this team. I love working with these people and I think we're the right people to be solving this problem.
0: Well, thank you both very much for your time.
2: Thanks, Emily. It's really fun.
0: Thank you. This was great. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here is a word from our sponsor.
4: At Innovate Edmonton, we are elevating our city as a global capital of innovation, a thriving center of inspiration, ingenuity and growth. Our role is to empower you as local innovators, connecting you to capital and customers, helping you to achieve your goals and make a global impact. We're supporting career-defining jobs for a rapidly changing world where companies, consumers, and investors are looking for a triple bottom line of people, planet, and prosperity. When Global Investment looks at Edmonton, we can demonstrate an innovation ecosystem working in harmony with healthy access to capital, collaborative communities, and a competitive spirit. Go to InnovateEdmonton.com today to learn how to accelerate your business.
0: The Islamic Family and Social Services Association has hired Raj Rajakumar, the co-founder of Spontively, to be their new product manager. And this is a brand new job that they've created to lead the development of two apps that's going to help the nonprofit better deliver on social services. And I thought this was really unique because it's a real move beyond the usual way that charities think about doing their work. So I talked to Omar Yacoub, the organization Servant of Servants, which is equivalent to an executive director. And he told me that oftentimes we get into work and we get caught up in the things that we need to do. And sometimes it's those things that we need to do that take us away from the impact we initially want to have. So instead of serving more people, They want to be able to say, this is how many people we were able to help with their goals by figuring out what the appropriate goals are for those people and how progress is made. So they're looking to be able to measure what they say matters. And by doing that, they're hoping to actually disrupt essentially the whole way that these services are delivered. So they want that role to grow into the head of innovation and technology, but not in a way that where the technology is the focus. It's where the technology is enabling and supporting this more human-centered approach to how work is done in the social services sector. So it's an incredibly fascinating approach. And uh, I think one that, you know, maybe we'll see more and more nonprofits uh, who are doing this work take on if if this is successful.
1: That's so interesting. Like I, I've never really seen... A social services company or nonprofit dive into technology, but it really makes sense if you're thinking about how you can actually scale your work and how you can actually help more people, or or even potentially generate more revenue by reselling this technology to other uh, nonprofits who are trying to do something similar. Um, and it's really exciting. I think someone once told me that. The difference between, and this could be wrong, but someone once said that the difference between nonprofits in Canada versus a social venture in in the US is that social ventures can often be more profitable and still think about scale and technology and organizational growth the same way that a for-profit company would. They're mm-hmm. just doing it for a social reason. And when I when I hear what, what these folks are doing, um, it kind of reminds me of that idea of creating a social venture and not you know, a a nonprofit, the way we might normally think of one as Mm -hmm. something that's just here to deliver a great service, no matter what uh, the expenses or, or maybe by sacrificing the health of the organization. So it's really Mm -hmm. cool.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, they're clearly getting traction. Like they've worked with them, the designers of Slack, actually, that I often use on their first app, which is called Transform. And that's an intake assessment and case management system. And then the other app that they're uh, that this new role will, will lead the development of is called Amplify. And it's an existing app that they want to bring to Edmonton. So that's actually, it's already been Localized, I guess is what they're calling it, in Brandon and Winnipeg. Um, and so uh, Raj will be localizing it to Edmonton in order so that, so that it can be used here. And the goal of that app is to be able to strengthen local businesses and it has, it integrates multi vendor loyalty rewards and more efficient payments. So I'm not exactly sure how entirely it will work, but that will be another big part of, of this role. Um, and then I imagine once those projects are are underway and the maintenance of those is, is ongoing, they'll, they'll likely be new ones as well. And hopefully like when I talked to Omar about it, the goal is not just that they're able to use these systems for, his association, but it's that they can be applied across the sector for, for any nonprofit or anyone in social services that wants to use them. So.
1: Cool. And what a great hire for them with Raj, like building, Mm -hmm. um, building an app that is based around community and connecting people and all those things. I imagine that he's got a ton of expertise that he's going to bring to it. And especially for somebody who was involved with Spontively during their, you know, bootstrapping time and taking them into funding and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure. I'm sure will help them tremendously in in what they're trying to build here. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know Spontively uh, has moved or or is moving, I believe it already has though, to um, Tampa Bay in Florida. So obviously the Edmonton connection there, but sadly no longer longer based here, but it will be really neat to see how he's able to take that experience and, and apply it here. In other
1: news, Bitcoin Well is um, entering into an agreement with Unified MMA and trying to make it possible to pay these mixed martial arts combatants in Bitcoin, which is a really interesting and I think a first in professional sports. And so when, when Adam talked about this in a press release, he said that Unified MMA offering their fighters the option to be paid in Bitcoin is absolutely game changing and that giving athletes the ability to put a portion of their purse into Bitcoin directly with absolutely no hassle is a perk that is building momentum in the professional sports industry. And to go along with that, Bitcoin Well is going to be the title sponsor for Unified 43 on March 4th at the River Cree Resort and Casino in Enoch. Bitcoin Well has said that they've identified a significant crossover between their target audience and the existing Unified MMA audience. So I'm sure this will be a great partnership for them and a way to continue spreading their
0: mission of making
1: Bitcoin more accessible and more understood. You
0: know, I'm so curious to know what, like, why, (laughs) why there's this crossover between Bitcoin's target audience and the unified MMA audience. Like what, why, you know, like, what is the, it's fascinating. And like, you know, I think great to see that in terms of that innovation, in terms of being able to pay their fighters, to have that option to pay their fighters that way. But I am really curious about what the what the crossover is or how they even (laughs) got to the point of identifying that there was a crossover there.
1: Well, I wonder if it's just because Bitcoin right now is also quite a male heavy industry. Um, Mm. And I know there's a lot of work being done to get more women uh, to be involved in crypto in general and blockchain and all that stuff. And so I wonder if it's just as simple as that is like, Bitcoin is largely dominated by adult males and so is MMA. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it could just be that simple. But uh, it's an interesting one, definitely. I think paying your your athletes in Bitcoin is cool because it takes away some of the currency risk from what I understand. Like you could pay everyone in um, kind of the same currency regardless of where they come from and without having to tie it to like a US dollar or a Canadian dollar or whatever. But beyond that, I, I'm curious to see what advantage that gives these combatants, if if that's an advantage over how other athletes are paid, or or what kind of what makes that compelling for them?
0: Yeah, I think it'll be intriguing to see if this is something that grows and even playing paying NHL players, for example, with Bitcoin um, in the future. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to wait and see. The last thing that I wanted to mention looking ahead is a machine learning boot camp that's coming up for women. CIFAR, the Osmo Foundation, and the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute have partnered to present the AI for Good Lab in Edmonton for the second year. And that will be running May 2nd to June 21st. So over seven weeks, the program will prepare those participating with the skills to build their own machine learning projects. There'll be mentorship opportunities and able to explore what a career Uh, in this field could actually look like. So those applications are due by February 15th. All right. And that is all for this week on Bloom. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. And you can also visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news.
1: Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker and cover art by Vicky Wiersinski.